mm-hmm. on Insecure. There's a scene where Issa is like, I still don't know what I want to do. And she's obviously 30-something. And I was like, I hope everybody realizes that that's real life, that you don't always know your purpose or your path until well into your 30s. Sometimes maybe not into your 40s. And it's okay that you don't have it all figured out or it's okay that you do pivot into a shift. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name? where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business. Sure. My name is Martinique Lewis. Thank you so much for having me. I am from Oakland, California, and the name of my business is ABC Travel Network, also known as All Black Content Travel Network. And thank you for having me. Yes, my pleasure. Miss All Black Everything. Come through. Miss All Black (laughs) Everything. Um, so you've been black your whole life. Like <laughs> last name is black. Yep. Sure. Am. <laughs> I just mean that because like I was taking a look at your Instagram. Right. So I scrolled all the way back. I don't know if you remember, but the very first picture, do you know? Do you remember what it is? Oh my gosh. I think it's I think it's some shoes or a plate of Food, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> you were right. You were right with the first one. It is a pair of shoes. Um, okay. It's April 2012, and it's a pair of Easter shoes. Your feet are not in them. It's just the shoes. <laughs> but they're, like, really colorful with flowers all on them. Yep, yep. Um, you were absolutely living the mess out of your life from 2012 to 2016 on the gram. Like, scrolling back made me nostalgic for when we just posted whatever we wanted to post. <laughs> when we didn't protect the feed, so to speak. Um, it was really dope, like, going back. It made me feel like my time back in Atlanta, like, way back in the day. Wow. So your posts in are, like, all about food and friends, fashion. Um, you got your grandma Ruby up in there, your mom and your sister, as your rocks, a lot of inspirational quotes, a lot of affirmation type things like Forbes over Facebook and success leave clues. It looked like you were talking to yourself quite a bit. 
and keeping your mind focused on the task at hand and the things that you were trying to achieve. Um, there's also some football college stuff in there, boss babe stuff, lots of God, lots of scripture, nails, <laughs> you and your nail designs, you was working it out. And, um, yeah. So like, talk to us, you, your mother, your parents, um, had you traveling internationally, you and your family travel international once a year, every year. How, how did that affect you growing up? Um, so my dad uh, worked for the airlines. So we were, we had the plug and we had the plug before it was cool to have the plug. And um, we had the plug before black families were traveling internationally. So we were doing it before you saw black people travel like they do now. And um, it really expanded our minds so much. We, we come from a half African-American family, half Panamanian um, family. So we always have had that cultural background, but like my mom made sure that her kids traveled. Um, she made sure that we traveled domestically and international and it just always had a big impact on us. Um, and then we grew up in a family that was very much so about serving your community and serving other people. So we saw that from place to place, whether it was in America or not. Um, but I think also because we had cultural roots in Panama, we were so interested in South and Central America, or we were interested in any other Spanish speaking countries. So yeah, we, we did a lot, actually. Um, we did a lot and it just opened up our minds to so much more, it really made us global citizens. Um, and we were so much more accepting of different cultures and we grew up in California. So you're talking about a place that has where your best friend is Jewish your uh your baseball coach or your basketball coach is Samoan um like literally like everybody is something here so yeah we were exposed a lot as children or growing up to just different cultures how did that impact your experience so like sometimes having a bigger mind can make you different right so like being in school and like, you're just like, this is not the world. Like I've seen war of the world. Cause a lot of people like, unless they travel, they just don't realize how big the world is. They don't realize that life is bigger than their little corner. So how did that impact like you growing up? I know that there were, you have diverse people around you. Yeah. Um, especially in school, like when we would be in history class or we'd be in class and something, a place would come up and I'd be like, oh yeah, I went there. And everybody would be like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I went there like two years ago. Like, so I'm saying we were traveling before it was cool for people to travel. So for me to just be able to see the places, these places that I've been, or to be able to speak to certain situations or be like, why isn't this in my history book? Because when I went to this place, this is what I learned. So why is these books teaching me something different? It had a, a just enormous impact on everything that I did, on every single thing that I did. Um, yeah. And I was also a music student. So any type of music that was different, any type of food that was different. I was always that kid that wanted to know about your culture. And I was always that kid that made friends with people from different cultures because I wanted to come to their house and see how they did things. So that was totally me. It also gave me a love for history and museums. Um, Cause I didn't, I wasn't like that really until I started traveling and going to museums. So yeah, that's basically how it impacted me. 
So you never felt like different, like you just kept exploring, like you, you just kept reaching out for these experiences. Yeah, I think I think in general, I wanted more in life because I knew there was more, but I didn't see it as me being different. I was just like, I'm a unique character. And it's because like, we can travel like that. Literally, that's what we thought. We're just like, we can travel like that. Because growing up, you think you're like everybody else or you or you don't realize like, okay, they got Jordans on their feet and you might have Nikes, but you're also like going to the south of France every summer. You know what I mean? Like we didn't realize that the gift that my parents was giving us because we equated like, uh, we equated having a good life to material things instead of like traveling. So we didn't know we were cool until we got to like college and people were like, oh my gosh, you've been there until people were a little bit more experienced or until people, you know, college, you have so many people from so many different backgrounds um, with different type of money situations, like just in general. So we didn't really know we were cool until we got to college. So you talk about your Panamanian side and feeling like um, you're... Well, I don't want to ask that. <laughs> I want to ask you like about your parents. So your mom, she was an experienced traveler herself. Yeah. So when my mom, when my mom, I think was 25 or 26, her dad died and he left her all this money. So he left her this money and what did she do? She went traveling with like with the money. So he's talking about the 70s, um, the late 60s, early 70s, and you have this black girl going everywhere in the world when black people wasn't traveling like that. Like black people really wasn't traveling back then. And so she got to see so much of the world herself. And she always said like, I'm going to make sure I give this to my kids. And she did. Um, my mom has always been a world traveler. She doesn't go on more trips than me in a year, but my mom is a luxury traveler, whereas I'm moderate and budget. I'm trying to save my coin and my mom is trying to spend her coin. I say she goes to, uh, to about two to three international travel uh, trips a year. Um, and I mean, just last year she did Egypt, she did Russia, like my mom is that type of traveler. So yeah, she always has a big impact on us. She's always taught us to just appreciate other cultures, to appreciate the fact that we can travel. She's always been in support of us getting up and going. And there, it's so funny because I'm finally to a point in life where there's places that I have gone that she hasn't been instead of it being the other way around. But then she'll be like, okay, well, when are you going next? Because I want to go. So we'll end up doing a lot of mother-daughter trips. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's nice. It is really, really nice. It's really nice. I enjoy traveling with my mom and I almost feel like I'm her protector when we travel together. I'm very, very protective of her. But I do always want her to experience the things that I've been able to experience and the people that I've been able to meet abroad. But she definitely is the one who laid that foundation. And you know, they say that, traveling is is genetic they said that there's an actual gene that i think i think they said one in five people have this gene um one in ten i'm sorry people have this gene and it's to travel so i really think it was passed down from our mom to us that is so special that is really special because like people a lot of times have a hard time finding people to travel with and that you could travel with your mom like that that's really dope i love that so much I agree. Well, what about your dad, though? So he worked for the airline, but he was not a traveler necessarily? 
no, my dad, he just is always like, okay, bye. <laughs> like he, he doesn't care. He, we can sometimes get him to go places, but I think if my mom, my mom is the one who makes him go places. But other than that, if it was up to him, no, he's not, he's not concerned. <laughs> no. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, your family speaks Spanish as well then? Yes. So my I- grandmother, my paternal grandmother, um, She's the one who speaks Spanish and we're all not good anymore. (laughs) Um, But she's still sharp as can be. She's 102 years old. And um, every day you, you wake up in her house and she'd be on the phone with her best friend Rosa. (laughs) And they just be speaking Spanish every single day. So yeah. um, Panamanian Spanish is very different from what you learn in school. Um, so we struggled with that because we would be like, this is not how you say it. And then the Spanish would be like, this is how you say it. But Panamanian Spanish is very much so a broken Spanish. It's very much so a slang Spanish, the same Spanish that they might speak in Colombia or, uh, Cuba. And so, yeah, very different from the Spanish that they speak in Spain. But yes, she is so dope. (laughs) She really is. And, um, yeah, has taught so many things to her family. That's so fire. I love that. 102 years old. Is she in the States? Yeah. Yeah. She lives in Oakland with us. Mm-hmm. Um, came here in this in the late 50s or in the 50s. Um, yeah. And so she's been here ever since. She went to New York first and um, then she went on to California. Is she a traveler as well or was? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. And that's why I'm like, I, I think it was ine- inevitable for yeah. us to be travelers that we are because her and my grandfather traveled so much and they did it, you know, later on in life. Um, but they were able to do it and they were able to literally like, there's pictures of my grandparents on planes. Like, and this is again, before black people were doing it before this was cool. They were in Greece and Egypt and Paris before this is what black people were doing. So it really is something to see when you do see their pictures. Cause it's like, dang, people weren't doing this in the eighties and the early nineties, not like my grandparents were. So yeah, it's, it's pretty inspiring. Has that been lost on you over time? Because like, for all intents and purposes, this seems to have been your life for so long. And like that wow factor of, I can't, I come from people who did this, not only when it wasn't cool, but like, it was actually dangerous, right? And much more difficult, I would imagine, financially speaking and culturally speaking, being able to move around as a Black person. Your ABC company also, you have the ABC Travel Green Book that you just launched last December, I believe it was, which, you know, the Green Book legacy of having a roadmap where it was safe to travel as a Black person. So, like, it has it, <laughs> like, are you are you ever still really wowed? Yeah, for sure. I, I always am because it wasn't until recently that I heard from my mom that um, when they used to drive from California to Texas, they could not stop. And my mom was born in the fifties. So this is something that's still going on in the fifties and the sixties. And we got to remember like Jim Crow didn't stop until the sixties. So this is still something very real and something that a lot of our parents did go through, but just for me to know that she experienced that, like it blew my mind. Um, I, I did not release the green book when I thought I was going to. And now it's on hold again because I'm not sure which 
Black-owned businesses will make it through COVID-19 because My Green Book was is somewhat different from Hugo Green's um, because his was focused on America and the Great, Great American Road Trip, and mine is focused on the world. So I go by continent and con- by continent to continent, telling you the Black-owned everything that are in these continents that help you go when you travel somewhere because we want to see ourselves reflected when we go somewhere or what happens when we want our hair braided when we're gone, you know, for two months in Japan? Like, well, what happens when we want like actual hair care products? Or what happens when we want to go to a black owned restaurant and support them? Or what happens when we want to know if there's black owned hotels in, in, I don't know, Sri Lanka and Australia, which there are, um, in Amsterdam, which there are. So yeah, I created one for the world because I started to realize that this black travel movement was so much bigger than what I initially thought. Um, so yeah, it, it does trip me out that how far the black travel movement has come, how far it has come in terms of what we can and cannot do. But my, my grandparents had money. Um, they were great savers and they did things to make sure that their families had, but they also did things to build their generational wealth. So definitely being able to see them travel like that and then to be able to see me travel like this, for me to have one of the original copies of the Green Book and still find places that are still running today, like one of the, the hotels in Old Bluffs, Massachusetts on Martha's Vineyard, um, it's in that original Green Book and it's still there today. So it's it's... It's mind blowing sometimes thinking, you know, that that whole thing where it says we are our ancestors wildest dreams. Um, We really are, especially the way that we're traveling, Um, especially the things that we're able to do, the things that we're able to say, the freedom that we're able to have. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. You could say that a hundred times over. But that that wasn't necessarily your passion. So even with all of the not passion, but your path even with all of the traveling that you did, Marty, you started in fashion. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And it's so funny because yesterday on Insecure, there's a scene where Issa is like, I still don't know what I want to do. And she's obviously 30 something. And I was like, I hope everybody realizes that that's real life, that you don't always know your purpose or your path until well into your thirties, sometimes maybe not into your forties and it's okay that you don't have it all figured out or it's okay that you do pivot into a shift. So yeah, I went to college, um, for fashion. I have two degrees in fashion and one degree in marketing. And, um, my first job out of grad school was I was a professor at Morgan state university and I taught in the fashion department. I never forget one day we were in class and one of my students rose her hand and I called her. Her name is Colleen. <laughs> she lives in New York. And um, she was like, why are you here? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you have the most amazing ideas. You're having us do all these amazing projects. And I don't understand why you're not implementing these things into the fashion industry. And it really made me think because I'm like, she's right. Like, what am I doing? At the time I was 25 years old. And I was like, why am I not putting these practices that I'm teaching these kids into, you know, the fashion industry? And that changed my life. And so I went out into the industry and I had this job at this, um, at this urban company in Baltimore. And before I was working there, I liked to travel. But once I got there, I started associating travel with tennis shoes because there's so many different tennis shoes regionally and country by country 
that people are into. So, you know, you might go to Israel and you're going to find a ton of people with some Adidas MMDs in, but then you go to LA, you're going to find a ton of people wearing the Jordan brand. So I love to travel to see what people had on their feet. And, um, as I was going place to place, because I had a little bit more freedom in that job because I was doing, I was working on their social team and I was working um, within marketing. I would take shoes in these different places and take pictures of them. And um, that's when I started really realizing the different type of travel ads and promotions. And I started realizing like, there's no black people in them. <laughs> and um, then I started working with a company called Black Travel Journey. And that's really when things started. So I was still working at the urban company and black travel journey. And I ended up getting fired. Um, never forget it on December uh, 5th, 2017. And, um, after that, I was like, Oh, I'm just going to do this travel full time. And that's what I did now for a year. I didn't make any money for a year. I struggled, struggled, struggled actually for two years. Um, I didn't make any money. I struggled, but I kept, I would continue to go on trips. I continued to build out my portfolio. And I was like, nope, if I got to spend all my savings doing this, what I believe in, I will. And I did. And then everything started to pick up that third year. So yeah, sometimes in life you pivot. But one thing I will say is once I started doing it, I realized there's nothing in this world I'd rather be doing than this, which was promoting black travel, which was traveling and working with tourism boards to make them understand the power of the black dollar to create content so I could give it back to the black community and they can go to these places. And again, the travel tra travel brands and tourism boards see how much black people do influence what all of the culture does. So yeah, that's really how I came into this. That was my pivot. What has helped you? So like I, I was saying on your Instagram, like you would post like a lot of inspirational, a lot of uh, affirmative quotes. Where did you get this idea that you needed to fortify your mind? Where did you get this fire in your life? Yeah, I have always been a positive affirmation person. Um, I get that from my mom. Again, my mom, you know, used to read Acts of Faith by by Ayanla Bonzant. My mom used to buy me those those messages that you keep around the house, um, you know, that tells you to live in the moment or, you know, the best time for new beginnings is now and the best is yet to come. So I've always been that type of person um, who who. I want to speak life into myself and I want to speak in life into others. And then I dated this basketball player and at the time he was playing overseas. And I remember, I'll never forget. He calls me and I was at this church retreat and he calls me. He was like, yo, I watched this thing called the secret. He's like, I need you to watch it. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, well, what is it about? He's like, it's about the law of attraction. And I was like, okay. And so I watched it. And then ever since that day, I watched it like every day for two years straight. And so I started training my mind that like what I thought I could have, I could have. And I was very, very big into vision boards. And um, around that time, even before that time, I would have these vision boards where I would turn it into a, it wouldn't just be a board. I would have so much stuff I wanted that it just became vision walls. And um, everything that I put on there, it would come true. And it was so crazy because it would come true, but maybe not in the way that I thought, right? So like one time I had this picture of a of a man and a woman and they were they were in their the the they're in the 
the bride's dress and the groom's tux and they were walking. And then like later on that year, I got engaged. Now complete, this is completely unbeknownst to me. I, I didn't say I wanted love or none of that. Um, a year before that, I said, I had this picture of Washington DC on my vision board or two years before that, Washington DC on my vision board. And it was on my vision board because I wanted to visit there, but I ended up moving there. So it was stuff that like happens like that all the time based off of my vision boards. But I have always trained myself to think about the bigger picture or to understand that I can have exactly what I want and that nobody is stopping me because I have everything I need and everything I want is available for me to get. It's just up for, to me to get it. And so, yeah, I've always trained my mind like that, but the secret definitely helped. And then the secret has a sister book called the magic. Um, that was, that's all about gratitude. And so that has changed my life also. But yeah, I've always been a person to speak over my life or to believe that um, I can have what I believe. I mean, it, it, it's always been written in the Bible. It says it in the Bible. So yeah, I, that's what I believe. So you said your mom kind of planted some seeds and then you're living your life and you are also cultivating what she's planted in terms of having exactly what you want. So you got yeah. clear about what you wanted and yeah. you just. It might it. change from time to time, but right, I of course it is. Mm -hmm. So, so would you say the key to manifesting is keeping in front of you exactly what it is that you want, being open to how that comes about and gratitude? Yeah. Yeah. And working towards it. Like you have to put in the work to get out what you want from it. Um, but yeah, if you don't see certain stuff, then how do you know that you want it? Like it needs to be in front of your face all the time. And even if it's just a picture on your phone that you constantly look at, but you need to have access to it. But also people don't understand that your mind doesn't know when you're not in a real situation when you're imagining it. So if you go through the emotions of how you feel, I don't know, to get a brand new car, your mind is not saying this is not really happening because you're making it happen there. So you're, you're conjuring it up. You're, you're going there in your mind and you're going to work towards whatever it takes to feel that exact feeling that you felt when you went there in your mind. So yeah, you, imagination is a powerful thing. Um, visualization is a powerful thing. Super powerful. So it's like how people are frightened by nightmares, right? So it's your mind having its way and it's a scary thing and you wake up and you are shook because you think that thing really happened. Even though like, obviously you were laying in the bed. <laughs> so it's like being able to harness that and using it for not scary stuff, but like the great stuff that you want to happen in your life. Right. Being in that feeling and seeing it clearly even though it probably won't <laughs> work out the way you want it to exactly, <laughs> which is fine. Cause a lot of times it's even better, right? Cause our imaginations, like we're so limited sometimes when it comes to that. Right. Okay. So you did your fashion degrees, did that time with the black travel journey, and then you got extremely intentional about making travel the it girl in your life. So you started going to like all these conferences 
and you were paying your way through these conferences and you were gathering intel, you were trying to figure out what these people were or were not doing in terms of diversity. And it wasn't just black people, you were included in people who are visibly of another religion or who are not able-bodied. Um, and so you wanted to be that champion. And in doing so, you created something that it, seem, it seems like hasn't existed. I don't know if anybody else is even doing it, um, but making yourself a diversity in travel consultant. So you work with tourism boards and travel brands to help them appeal to the wider audience that's paying money anyway. Yeah. Um, I advocate for those travelers who never see themselves reflected because most of the time we see white, blonde, able-bodied, skinny women in all of these travel ads and promotions. It's like, oh, cause I didn't know that she's the only one giving you money. Um, so I, like you said, started going around and, um, talking about it and raising my hand when I went to these conferences and making myself known and basically making sure they saw me at every other conference. Because for one, the black, black people in tourism and travel in terms of a career is very far and in between. So they're going to remember a black girl. If she stands up, she's well-dressed, she speaks well, and she's basically calling you out on all your bullshit. And so they did remember me. And so when I went from place to place, they'd be like, oh, you're here again? I'm like, yep. They're like, oh, to talk about. And I was like, yep. And then I started applying to speak at these conferences or some of the conferences started asking me to come speak. So yeah, pretty soon my message was loud and clear. Um, and also because I'm a vocal person, there's a lot of people who also agree with me who are travel journalists, travel photography, uh, travel photographers, travel influencers, but they didn't necessarily have the voice to speak up or they didn't have the courage to speak up because they thought it would negatively impact their work, which sometimes it did. But now for the most part, diversity and inclusion is widely talked about within the industry. It's not on the top of everybody's mind yet, but it is a subject now that is not ignored. Whereas before it used to be ignored, before you could talk about it until you were black and blue in the face, which multiple people did who came before me and um, they were getting exhausted. And I totally understand that. And now they're, the travel industry is so much more acceptable of it but also because we have allies we have made friends with people who are who run these conferences or people who you know make the make the uh, articles in the prestigious newspapers and travel magazines or the directors of shows like we have gotten them as allies so they can speak out on our behalf as well but yeah i have created my own lane um i've created a space that needed to be filled um and things that need to change will change. It's a slow change, but it is happening. And, um, you know, we're better when we rally together. So now it's the black girl with the blind girl, with the guy in the wheelchair, with the mother of four who travels, with the 57-year-old traveler, with, you know, the Russian travel. Like, it's it's everybody. We're all here. Um, 
with the Muslim traveler, with the Indian traveler, like we're all here and we're all advocating on each other's behalves to shed light on our own situations. Because even, even with black travelers, even with Muslim travelers, we have preferences. We have things that we don't like. We have things that we do like. I can tell you how, how many numbers of nights we stay, how many times a year we go, who we go with, the places we go to, like, I can tell you all of that. And that was that knowledge that was missing from the industry. So yeah, luckily, um, I'm able to get those facts out there so that people can be, can do better with their campaigns and where it's top of mind. So their messaging is for everybody. So, yeah. So, so you made the data accessible because like, that's what speaks the most people can talk about diversity, 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 but what you did was make it consumable and you brought them numbers. It seems like. Right. So I was able to give them numbers and percentages. Yes. And that's after doing research and compiling, um, multiple different, uh, surveys that were done. Um, and speaking to what these people found. And it's interesting because now I'm, I'm doing some research of one of the major travel universities because there is not a lot out there, but research is a different beast. You know, I, I never knew about quantitative and qualitative and the different things that go into research. But once you're able to publish something in a journal, everybody will credit you for it. So that's the level that I'm trying to get at because when you bring people numbers, numbers do not lie. And, um, tourism boards would be fools to, to ignore numbers when the proof is right there in the pudding and for them. So, yeah. So what happens on your influencer trips? So I saw you did a couple of case studies and you did a mix of traditional and digital marketing um, and you were tracking direct bookings that were made, Google right. rankings of the companies you were promoting and brand visibility of the companies you were promoting through your influencer trips. How did that how did that all come about? Um, honestly, so with Black Travel Journey, uh, the first one, um, I had some friends from Howard who I had went on a trip with. And um, it was the first influencer trip that Black Travel Journey ever did. And we went to Belize and it was super random and it was great. And so those guys knew a girl who was trying to create an influencer trip, but she didn't necessarily have the network. She knew some of the people, but she didn't have the platform like a black travel journey. So we ended up collabing with her um, on that first trip. And uh, we ended up getting Mike Holston, who is now the real Tarzan. I remember it was at the beginning of his career and he was so humble. He was just such a great guy. And um, that trip ended up going viral. And um, I will never forget French Montana and Diddy reposted him um, with the Ciroc bottle at the bottom of the ocean in Bimini, Bahamas. And ever since that trip, right after that, um, he went to Honduras, to Roatan, Honduras, and he met up with a guy named Manny who runs um, Island Journey. And uh, Manny and I started talking and Manny said, okay, I want to do a big trip. He's like, let's bring Tarzan back. And he was like, and you give me like eight influencers. So I said, okay, great. Um, it ended up being more than eight influencers because Tarzan brought some people with him, but that trip also did numbers. And 
we were taking these small places or these um, not well-known places and making them big. And so Bimini, Bahamas, is the closest Bahamian, Bahamian island to America. You can get you can get there in two hours on a seaplane. I mean, on a on a boat, and you could get there in thirty minutes on a seaplane. And literally, you can go to Miami for a weekend, and like at nine o'clock in the morning, get on the seaplane to Bimini, and then come back from Bimini six o'clock at night and be back in Miami by six thirty, seven o'clock. So it's such onto you know a different country with a different culture and raw time. Ah oh, man, it's, it's it's such an amazing island. Um, it's a it's a seaport as well. So Carnival Cruises did go there, but you know what happens when it's not cruise time anymore. So if you can imagine now, you know the majority of their economy is because of the cruise ships coming in. So now after coronavirus, what are these people going to do? Because they don't get the they're not going to get the bulk of people because people won't be cruising like they normally do, right? So you know it was taking these small places and making them accessible to the greater community. Because at this point, the black travel community is growing, growing. Black people are like, I saw this black person in this place. So now I'm going to go to this place. And that's literally what it was. So yeah, we were able to get the numbers out of it and show how much um, influencers make an impact on social media, how much influencers or influencer trips definitely dictate buying decisions when it comes to millennials or when it comes to people. And so yeah, we were able to blow them all out the water we saw the direct effects um when people were booking it after we went but yeah it was it was powerful it was powerful information um and i mean we saw it down to a t to people taking the the exact poses that we did on the trip and doing the same exact poses when they were there like it was down to that so yeah, it was really, really interesting actually. And we had a great time. We were able to, you know, make some great content, but even more so we were able to bring so much profit to these economies. You know, we left when these people are now our friends. I still talk to Manny and his wife and his baby girl. I still talk to a boxer from there. Like I still talk to these people and they're our friends and we built a relationship because we're all about helping them. But even more so, when you go to these places, there's opportunities to do some type of give back. There's opportunities to learn about their culture. I mean, it was just beautiful trips both times. And uh, yeah, having that information, which I need to now up to be able to update it with things that I've done since then. But those trips were so big and so important. Um, I love talking about them because they were really great and they did a lot for Black travel. Now, were you a part of No Madness like before? I think like 2018. I became a part of No Madness 20, 2018 September. Okay. So yeah, I I didn't come I didn't become a part of No Madness until the first Audacity Fest. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, which in was Memphis. No, it was in Oakland. Last year was in Memphis, and this oh. year was. York, but unfortunately, because coronavirus, we can't do it. But we are doing Audacity Digi on May the thirtieth, which will be a digital a digital conference um, for Black and Brown travelers. So yeah, okay. I was just curious because a lot of times people are in no madness, and then you know they go off and do whatever they do from there. Um, right. So I was just curious about that. Very cool. So you you have this quote. You say. This is the only thing that feels right. 
everything else felt forced. So like the fashion for you, it felt forced. Even trying to merge fashion and travel felt forced to you. So the only thing that really feels good to you is being able to get in the bones of of the infrastructure, the financial impact, which that's what speaks to people, right? Money. So you get to the financial impact so that you can change. You say your your mission in life is to change the face of tourism. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's the only thing that doesn't feel forced. <laughs> With fashion, you know, I love fashion. I would say I'm a fashionable person. I have a million shoes and a million clothes. But sitting at the sewing machine was not for me. Did I make a lot of money? Of course I did. Um, but it was not for me. I was physically hurting from hunching over and doing stuff all the time. I was losing out on sleep. I was stressed because I had to get orders out. Um, but with travel, I think about it every moment of, of the day. When I sleep, I dream about it. I live, eat, and breathe travel. It is such a part of my life. And that's how I knew I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing this because it was effortless for me. It wasn't like, oh, I got to get up and do this today. It wasn't nothing like that. I was like, no, how can I make an impact in this travel industry and do everything that I said I was going to do? Um, so yeah, that is that is when I realized like, nope, you're supposed to be here. This is what you're supposed to be doing. It's really cool too. So the whole diversity thing about advocating for other people, um, because you are like all black content, right? So it's it's interesting that you've been able to open yourself up to include others like that. I feel like as black people, a lot of times that's generally what it is. Like you won't see other folks advocating for us as hard, but you will see a black person advocating for other folks. Right. Right. So it's really interesting that you, you also like kind of follow that. Yeah. Follow that. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, Marty, what are some of your self-care practices? Um, so for me running, (laughs) running, especially during quarantine has been, Ugh, it has been my saving grace because I know I would get out of the house um, for at least ugh, for at least an hour, an hour and a half to two hours. But yeah, um, it just yeah, it's been running and. Um, I think what else do I do for self-care? I stage my house. I go to bed early. <laughs> Saturday nights, sometimes Friday nights, I'll just like vibe out. I'll play my soca. I'll play some good neo soul and I'll just vibe out. I'll write. Um, gratitude is definitely self-care for me, writing what I'm thankful for because it puts things back in its perspective. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Are any of those practices particularly grounding for you? Oh, running. Uh, it's, it's something about when you run that you release endorphins. So it's like I get everything off. Um, I can clear my mind and it's almost like I'm competing. So it's always very um, strategic 
for me. Like whatever my goal is, I'm always like, ah, run to your goal. Like you might be tired, but you got to finish. You got to get to your goal. So like, yeah, it's, it's very therapeutic for me and it definitely allows me to release. It's my release. You seem like deeply rooted as a person, like very inside yourself. So I wanted to ask, what has helped you to face the challenges that you've had along the way? Gratitude. I tell everybody all the time. I was, I was explaining to somebody that most people in life are probably manic depression, depressant, but the thing about it is some people know how to get themselves out of that state because of gratitude. And once you write things that you're grateful for, you realize that life is never as bad as it feels or as it seems because it could always be so much worse. After all, you could not be writing that you're grateful for something because you didn't wake up. So I always, always say gratitude is, is, is the driving force. Gratitude is the reason. Gratitude is the why it's what helps you through. Um, and yeah, it's definitely what helps me through. Um, did you previously study like a lot of brain training, like subconscious mind programming, like hypnosis? Like, are you into alternative therapies, acupuncture and energy healing and all that kind of stuff? I'm not. And I just started learning about it um, through Evie Robinson, who is the founder of No Madness Tribe, the current place where I work. But I knew nothing about it at first. So yeah, I mean, it was always meditation um, or it was always writing down your thoughts. But yeah, I knew nothing about that type of healing. It's so funny because recently I, re- I found out that um, some of my cousins in Panama practice Santeria and uh, you know, Santeria is really intense um, and it uses herbs and and it uses it uses herbs and rocks and and everything you're talking about. And it is an alternative medicinal option that people might have as well as a religion. But, yeah, I have not explored those yet. I wanted to ask you as well, do you think that traveling as a black woman has impacted your travel experience? Absolutely. Um, when I go to Europe, I get stopped on the street because they think I'm African and they think I'm a prostitute. Like literally there's, there's different things that happen when I travel to India. Um, everybody wanted a picture and I turned around and took one picture with one person turned around and there was a line of people, you know, they haven't, a lot of people have never seen a black person before. So when you go to their countries, it makes things different. Or, you know, you go to Germany where they freaking love you and they think you're the most beautiful thing in the world. So it definitely has impacted me. Um, it definitely has made me more aware of my surroundings. Um, but yeah, it gives me a sense of pride as well, because I know that I am a black woman who is traveling and, um, making a difference also and encouraging other black women to travel. So I think that is really the, the most impactful part going somewhere that other people haven't gone and then knowing somebody went there because you encouraged them to do so. Have you had support as you have been trying to figure out like your path? Um, you were talking about uh, going from fashion to travel fashion and travel yeah, definitely. My mom has always said to me, I know you're going to be famous. I just don't know, don't know how. And so I'll always carry the light for you. And I used to not understand 
understand what that means, but basically she was saying if, you know, some point in time it's hard to see or it's dark, she will always be that light for me and she will always hold the light for me so I can figure it out. And um, she has always supported everything that I wanted to do. If it was fashion, she supported that with the travel stuff. She didn't understand it at first, but she supported it. And now she supports it even more because, you know, she gets to go on free trips and stay for places for free. And <laughs> she gets to reap the benefits. But no, she, she sees what I'm doing. But it's so funny because, you know, there's always a, a age barrier. So for my parents, I will never forget when I used to just be working from home, you know, they'd be like, so does Mark Snake have a job? And they'd be like, no, she'd just be on a computer all day. But they're not really realizing that I'm making decks, I'm sending pitches and, you know, doing all these things. So it wasn't until I had an article come out in Essence that they really believed me because it was something tangible that they can see that wasn't like related to social media. And then when my Forbes article dropped, they really like were like, okay, this is real because they didn't know. They It, it wasn't things that they can see. They just thought I was traveling to travel you know they're not in the blogs and they're not in the black travel movement so they didn't know but yeah it became real to them at those moments when did your mother tell you that like at what age did she tell you she'd be your light oh my gosh um early early do you realize like how special that is Yeah, for sure. My mom is a is a unicorn. Like I'm just like I don't know what I did to deserve such a great, amazing woman. But my mom is the bomb for sure, for sure. I feel like you're like maybe five or six generations evolved, but like in 2020, <laughs> like your 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 mind is just so clear. You are just so focused. You. It seems like, like, no wonder you haven't really explored, like, energy healing or or any of the other stuff. Because, like, for all intents and purposes, it's, it just seems like you are together. I mean, yeah, as much as I, as much as I can be. I'm not all together, but I do have a strong foundation, for sure. For sure. I, I'm not saying perfect. I'm not saying you know exactly... Right. I'm not saying you know exactly like what's what's what, but for all intents and purposes, like that foundation is uncrackable. That's right. what it seems like. Right. I wanted to ask you, Marty, when you do travel and maybe it's just like your personal travel, like how do you like to explore a place? Ooh, I love to not know necessarily what I'm getting into. I don't like to set um, schedules. I don't like to say this is the itinerary for the day unless it's a, you know, like an actual influencer trip or press trip. Um, But I do like to look up the black community or black owned restaurants. So I make sure I at least do that. So, yeah, that's how I like to explore a place. I'll always YouTube black people in this place. I will always search for on Facebook for different Facebook groups that have to do uh, with black people in that space. And then I try to find them and connect with them so I can show them on no madness um, or I can show them on my personal platform or so I can add the things into the green book. So yeah, that's what I like to do. Do you have hobbies and interests or are you just pretty much like consumed by your, your making your way forward? Um, 
I mean, my hobbies are tr- are running and working out. <laughs> um, music, I definitely love music. Um, what other hobbies do I have? Yeah, I would say they're all like travel inspired. So, honestly. like, you don't you don't even sew anymore, or like you don't pick up fabrics or whatever from wherever. Girl, you're listen, I always try to stay <laughs> with it. Always finds a way to bring me back. Like today, my dad was like, "Oh, you know your sewing machine is over here. The next time you come, your grandmother needs you to hem some pants." I'm like, "Ain't nobody trying to be sewing during quarantine." Everybody's like, "Why?" Aren't <laughs> Actually, lots of people are trying to sew during quarantine. <laughs> He's telling me, "Why?" Aren't you I'm like, I don't want to make masks. I don't want to sew during quarantine. I'm going to let all y'all do it. Like, I did it for, I did it, I did it when I had my children's clothing line. And it just really, like, scarred me to the point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So it was so much work. So I tried to just stay away. Why do you think it scarred you? Like, having the pressure of getting orders out? Yes. And I didn't have any help and I didn't feel like I was making enough money to hire anybody else. And I was making clothes for NFL players, wives and girlfriends. So, you know, the season starts late August and it goes to mid-February. And so that means you had orders every single week. And, you know, there's 32 teams in the NFL. Like, you have orders every week, 32 teams, there's 70 players and at least 80% of them got baby mamas or wives with kids. So like it was always something going. And then I also sold on Etsy and I had this one item, which was a Paw Patrol vest, writer's Paw Patrol vest. And it used to sell like crazy. And I will never forget this one Halloween. I had over 500 orders and I only had like 20 days to make it. And I had to literally, I quit my job because I was like, there's no way that I can do a nine to five and then come home and do a, do a five to five in the morning or a nine to five in the morning um, without killing myself. And I still killed myself, like literally. And so I was just was like, yeah, no, I'm over this. And people don't understand, like, it's a lot. And you had, I had my shop, um, I would go in and, and sew and then I would heat press. And then, you know, it was just a lot of work. I was not sleeping. I was not eating. I wasn't seeing daylight. And that was messed up because I will get up early before the sun rose. And then I would leave my house to make it to the post office before it closed at 7 PM. And by that time it would be dark. Then I would come home and go to sleep and do it all over again. I wasn't eating. Like it just was, it was too much. And I was like, yeah, no. So I don't don't even be trying to see no sewing machine. But when I do get on the sewing machine, I'm like, oh man, I forgot what this feels like. And I'm like, yeah, but don't, I don't miss it. <laughs> How in the world did you get hooked up with the NFL? Like, Girl, literally, I started making clothes because my god sister had a baby. And they were like, you should really make these clothes. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you think people would buy them? And they're like, yeah. And so I sent it to this one lady who I followed on Instagram. Her name is Chantel Mayo. Gerard Mayo is her husband. Her husband played for um, Pittsburgh. And at the time, she had two kids, but number three was on the way. Um, and now she has four. And I remember I asked her, I said, hey, can I send your kids some stuff for 4th of July? And she said, sure. And so I sent it to her. And I remember 4th of July came and went, and her kids didn't wear anything. And so I just, you know, I just was like, dang, I guess I'm just taking the L. And then like a month later, she sent me a message and she's like, hey, I just want to let you know them, them clothes was too cute. 
for my kids to wear on 4th of July. Instead, I'm going to have them wear it on this at the season opener for the Patriots versus whoever. And I'm like, huh? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to just have them wear it at the season opener. So initially, right, I was sending it to her for 4th of July. She made it even bigger by allowing them to have it on for the season opener. So you got to understand the football world, when one wag, wives and girlfriends, when one wag sees something that the other wag got, they want it too. And it's all word of mouth. So it's word of mouth. Plus people being able to tag you on Instagram, plus people putting you in their stories, plus people posting pictures with you with something that people have on, like the, your, your clothes. And it spread like wildfire. It really did. And I mean, it was great. I was making money and it was good. I had all this extra money, but then I was tired. And I ever said, and I said, when I get to be a millionaire again, I know I will do things the right way because I was also getting cease and desist letters from the NFL because I started making too much money um, and using the logos without licenses. But people don't understand, like, in order to have an NFL license, it costs a lot of money um, to be able to license one team. And so one team's license could cost a hundred grand for you to even be able to license. So I was like, either I'm going to have to have a hundred grand and he times that by the 32 teams, 3.2 million. Or I'm going to have to be so big and so famous that I can collaborate with somebody like a Jimbery or with like a Walmart to create some type of line for NFL wives and girlfriends. But the thing that they loved also was the personalization. You can get your dad's or your boyfriend's number or your husband's number on the back and whatever you wanted to say. So it was also like a, a competition between them, like who had the best what. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And it just, like I said, spread like wildfire. <laughs> so you are just like the Midas touch. You got that touch. Whatever you put your focus on, just it, like it explodes. It's so funny because people really send me the most beautiful messages. And they just be like, Marty, we're just so proud of you. Remember we used to sell Snapchat filters. We used to sell clothes. And they're like, and now you out here doing it. And I was just like, dang, like I forget about all that stuff. It's so funny because when you said you went through my Instagram, I'm like, oh, dang, she didn't really, really see. Because I've archived so many things out. Because I was like, it's not relevant to what I'm doing now. But I used to have all the football players, wives and kids stuff up there, football players with their kids. I used to have all the Snapchat filter stuff because I've always been a creative. So always creating stuff for personalization has been things that I love to do. So who knows? Maybe I'll do it with travel, like personalized travel to travel um, based off of, you know, what you like to do. So who knows? But I've always been super creative. So, yeah. I wish it was the mindset, but not exactly. But something, something may be similar. The Marty touch, whatever. Do you have any song lyrics or a poem that speaks to you these days? Oof. Um, so there's this artist named Landrell, and he recently put out a meditation album and it's like rap, but it's meditation and it is just so good. And, um, there's this one song that I really love called gratitude. And, um, <laughs> I listen to it every morning as I'm writing in my gratitude journal to just remember, make me remember, like you really got to realize how amazing it is that you get to breathe 
air into your lungs so many different times throughout the day that you woke up this morning that you have four walls to call home that you have food in your refrigerator that you can smell hear taste see and feel like there's so many different things to be grateful for and so i love that song by him um i love any songs that is talking about getting money so cardi b money <laughs> Like Kelly money, like <laughs> um, passion girls, boss ass bitch song. Like I, I'm that type of person. Like I feed off of that. I feed off of that type of energy also. So it's like, I'm like the um, grateful gangster basically. Cause like I will, I will, <laughs> love, I love the trap music that talks about making it, you know, um, Beyonce and Jay-Z, ape shit, and, you know, I just, I love that type. Um, Cardi and Chance, I'm living my best life. Like, I'm that type of person. And then at the end of that playlist, there's this gospel song called The Best Day of Your Life. So, like, like I said, the, the Grateful Gangster, like, it just, my playlist, it's all about gratitude. It's all about getting money and living your best life living out your dreams, making an impact, believing yourself. Like that's, that's so wholeheartedly me. I have a good heart and I'm just a little rough around the edges, but that's who I am. I can only be me. <laughs> Where has it been like dating for you? Um, I absolutely love non-American men. <laughs> um, um, and I don't know when I really got like that, but it was because I traveled so much and I used to travel to Trinidad. I do travel to Trinidad every year for carnival and the people you meet there, um, are some extraordinary people. And I dated this guy, um, there and our relationship didn't work out, but now we're best friends. And so like, I'm grateful for like, you know, things that Trinidad has brought and, um, my dating situations are always like, yeah, it's never guys in America. It's always guys that I can go visit um, because I get fulfilled and going to visit a new place, learning a new language, being able to see how people do things over there. So yeah. Um, but also it's very hard to date when you're in this position too, because not everybody understands it. And that might be another reason that I stopped dating American men because they didn't understand it if they couldn't travel like I could. And so, um, it would sometimes cause rift because I would tell people in the beginning, like, listen, it's not fair if you date me because you might want to go somewhere on a Friday night and I'm not even in town. And it's not like I'm going to be in town the following Friday or the Friday after that. And when I am in town, I'm tired. So yeah, you could come over, but I know you're going to want to like somebody that you can see most of the time that you can do regular things with. And I'm just not that regular type of girl. Like I can't give you, you know, what you want. But at the same time, even though I can't give you what you want, I still want love and attention and affection. So I still want you to call me every day and ask me how I'm doing. So I know they probably feel like, dang, we can't win for losing. You're not around, but you want us to be all up your butt. And it's like, yeah, I do. And I'm not sorry for it. But yeah, it gets interesting. So traveling foreigners, <laughs> I guess you could say, fills yeah. that need because they know you don't live there and you still get all the attention and affection. Yeah. And I mean, like, I have been able to date some really American, really American, some really amazing men um, who don't live in America, who are very much so like in tune with my day to day life. Like they want to know what I'm doing. They want to know what my niece is doing. They want to know what I ate. Uh, they want to know how many miles I ran. Like 
you know, they, they're very much so in tune with my life and are looking forward to when we see each other next. And when I date somebody that's overseas, I try to see them like every two to three weeks. So it still is like, you know, you still see me once or twice a month. Okay. So like overall, you would say your experience dating has been, it's been fine. You're, you're clear about what you want and you are just dating, just trying to see who's actually going to vibe up, who's going to last. Dating um, because I'm just like, no. And I, I used to date to try to fill a void, but now I'm like, nah, like, let me get to where I'm going, you know? Or let whoever he is go ahead and become his best version for me because I only want the best version. I'm 33 years old now. I don't have time for the bullshit. I'm trying to bypass the games. And, like, I need a man who knows what he wants because I do know what I want now. And that's why a lot of, you know, when I date, a lot of my stuff doesn't end up lasting because I know it's like, nope, this is not what I thought this was. And we can be friends, but I'm not going to waste my time in this. Like, I'm too old for that. Um there are some things that are deal breakers. There are some compromises and there's some things that I'm not willing to compromise on. So yeah, but I'm like, right now I'm so busy building my empire, but also I desire friendship, um, in a, in an actual relationship. So before I even date you, I just want you to be my friend. Like, let me know how you are as my friend first also. So yeah, it just, it ends up being interesting. Um, People are like, oh, well, isn't it easy to date guys who are in this profession with you? Yeah, but there's not a lot of black men who are in this profession as a travel influencer or travel journalist or photographer, videographer. There's not a lot of black men um, who are my age that I can actually date. So, yeah, it, it gets it gets different. It gets hard sometimes. But I just realized, like, but you're OK without dating people right now. So don't focus on it. Like it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. Come on, if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. <laughs> Come on. You are too funny. <laughs> How do you like to celebrate, Marty? Oof. Um, I really love my family and friends. And <laughs> even now... Um, when I have an accomplishment, you know, it's, it's my mom and my sister and they come with the, the champagne. Literally it's my aunt and she comes with the champagne and we're going to toast. And, um, that's how I like to celebrate when we could travel. I would love to go on a solo trip. So I just had time to think and sleep and relax and be like, Oh shit. Like that really just happened. Um, but yeah, I'm such a big family person that I like to celebrate with the people who I do it for because I'm not married. I don't have kids yet. So everything that I do in life is for my family and my very close friends because, you know, it's all about being successful so that I can celebrate their dreams and so that I can help them reach their goals. And so, yeah, I love to celebrate with those people who were there with me in the trenches, who done seen every ugly cry, who done been there when the bank account was negative, who done been there when I was featured in Forbes, you know, who done been there through ugly breakups, who done been there when I'm at the top of my game and at the worst of my game. So I like to celebrate with them. Has it been difficult for you to maintain relationships with the kind of lifestyle you have? Not necessarily romantic, but like friendships? No, not at all. And it's so funny because um, Corona didn't make things different because a lot of my friends are overseas now. Um, 
So if you're if you were my friend up until my 30th birthday, then we're good. Like, which I still have a lot of close people who I can talk to and I do talk to, but they do not charge it against my heart um, when we don't talk for a month because they know I'm out here and we might talk through social media, but we have not been able to sit down and actually talk now because of Corona. I've talked to everybody because I'm at home and it's made me realize like I need to make more of an effort after Corona to do this also. Cause it doesn't take that much time to sit and talk to somebody for 30 minutes. We've all used zoom so much during coronavirus. I'm like, you still gonna have your zoom account after this. Make sure you set up, make sure you set up video chats with your people so they could check on you. You could check on them period, like period. This, this, this virus has brought a lot of things into perspective um, in terms of my friendships and how I would be if I didn't have somebody and if I didn't talk to them and anything happened. I would, I, would, I would definitely never be able to forgive myself. So no, it's not hard for me to maintain relationships. And then for the people who are overseas, which is a lot of my friends, we talk every day through WhatsApp anyway. So it, it's not hard at all. Has it been important to you to surround yourself with people who are also pursuing like larger than life goals? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I like people who I, I don't call them dreamers because we don't have to go to sleep to uh, see our visions. But I need to be around people who are who are big thinkers, because when I'm not um, and I'm around people who are small thinkers, they just end up trying to dim, diminish my dreams. And I'm, I'm not for that. They try to diminish my goals. And I'm just like, I want the friends when I tell them like, oh, yeah, I want to have an airport name. That's me be like, damn, that's dope as fuck. Now, how do you do it? Those are the type of friends I need instead of being like, you want to do what? Like, uh, yeah, okay. That's quite optimistic, um, which I had some friends like that. And I had to look at that like, mm, nope, you need the friends in your life. are going to be like, yeah, like, so how do you make it happen? Oh, so you're going to put that on your vision board? Okay, so are you going to go to X, Y, and Z and give yourself three to four years to make sure? You know what I mean? Like, I need friends who are always going to push me. So, um, yeah, I... I have surrounded myself by big thinkers and it's amazing. And one of the things that I write down daily is that this year I wanted to expand my network, that I want to expand my network with people of where I'm going in life also, because you have the people where you are now who are always going to be there, but you also need those people as to where you're going because they're buying the type of house that you want. They have the type of boat that you want. They have the type of financial literacy that you want. They have the uh, accountant that you want. You know, they, they have the summer house that you want. They have the private jet that you want. Um, they have the speaking opportunities that you want in the network to get those speaking opportunities. So like there's, there's, they have the lifestyle you want, but you won't know until you start hanging around them and you go to their house or they invite you to go on a trip with them or they say, Hey, come hear this person speak with me and we're going to go take them out afterwards and make sure you're up on your red wines because they're a red wine connoisseur or come play golf with me for the next week. So you can understand how to play golf because this is where the business, all the business transactions happen with this company. Like those are the type of people I desire to be around. How do you do that? How do you get in those doors? Um, part of it is knowing your surroundings, uh, appreciate your surroundings and using your, your network, using your resources. But I tell people all the time, man, LinkedIn is the most powerful platform you could be on. People let you know where they're going to be, where they're speaking at. And it lets you also see who they know, who likes all of their stuff and who likes their, who likes them liking that stuff in their network. LinkedIn is such a powerful tool. So yeah, 
you look and see where people are going to be. People will tell you, especially on LinkedIn. Because I'm so excited about going to this this conference next week, or you know, we're having this film festival and it's featuring these type of people. So you go. Um, and you go to places that are commendable. So like last year I went to Martha Vineyard for the first time and I went because I was like at the age of 32, there's no reason I should have, shouldn't have been at this place that exuberates so much black wealth. That is all about, you know, black academia. That's all about the black family. That's all about, you know, the black upper class. Why have I never been here? And I'm like, if I don't go, I'm not going to connect with people on that level that you know are in this group of people that say i want to be around so yeah you find out where they vacation you find out the concerts they go to you find out where they work you find out um you know what kind of places they go to for speaking opportunities just it's it's so many different things it's a lot of putting yourself out there and making people aware of you as well so i i get the like find out who's doing what where they're doing it connecting but it's i think maintaining those connections. So it's like, well, what do you say? So it's like, hey, you know, I'm very interested in like what you've been up to. I've been following your work. It's very nice to meet you. My name is such and such. I do this and that. And then like, well, where does it go from there? Because so so many times it feels like people want to know you for what you could do for them. And so Um, is it, is it very much that? No, I, I definitely don't do any of that. I don't, I don't meditate on that. If I know a person is going to be in a place, I don't go there with the intentions to meet them. I go there with the intentions to meet the other people there. And if I do meet them, that's even better. But no, I I don't premeditate the situations because at events, a lot of times everybody's going to network. And more than likely, you're going to see the person who you want to see. Make sure you have your business card ready. Ask for their business card. Make sure you do notice things about either their profile or something that they did so you can make it a talking point and they understand that you actually have really either researched them or looked them up and you're interested in the same thing that they do, you know, or meet the people around them because you'll, you'll come back to it. And I tell people all the time, visualize the people you want to meet. My friend just wrote this book and I bought two copies of them. And I told her I bought two copies of them because one time she told me, you know, um, that she wants Issa Rae to happen. I told her, I was like, well, one day I'll meet Issa. Or Jordan Woods, who was the other person said, and I'll have the book ready to get to them. Like, oh, by the way, my friend wrote this book and I thought you should have it. And like, I manifest those type of things all the time. Um, I tell people all the time too, volunteering at events will allow you to be able to have full access to somebody if they're running an event and they ask for volunteers. So now you're on the back end of it and they're going to thank you for giving yourself to their project or to their goals and dreams. And then you continuously do it. So like there's, there's different ways. Um, but yeah, you should never go into it without a, a, a giving heart or, you know, without doing your research. And I always like to ask us, Marty, how do you like to be supported? So how can listeners of the show support your work? Um, I would just say follow, comment, um, send examples, especially if you're offended by anything you see in the travel industry. Uh, if you notice that a place put out, you know, some type of media and you didn't see yourself reflected, send it to me, engage with me. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you're working on. You know, I, I always say it's, it's a, it's a two-sided coin. So yeah, I want you to support me, but I'm also here to support you. 
So yeah, I would just say reach out. Is that through your website or do you prefer Instagram, Facebook? Um, Yeah, I I love Instagram. Instagram works. It's because I can see who you are and what you care about. Um, If I can't see it through your profile, I can see it through your Instagram stories. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a place where I, a lot of people, that's where I meet a lot of people and, um, yeah, grateful for that. So yeah, Instagram is fine. Okay. So I will link your Instagram in the show notes. I want to thank you so very much for your honesty and for sharing your journey and for spreading that fire. I hope that listeners are very much fired up after hearing this one. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You take good care of yourself. Thank you, Marty. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.